Father, this morning we just come to you. By faith we surrender our bodies and our minds into your hands. This is just our reasonable service, Lord, in light of your incredible sacrifice for us. Renew our mind through the teaching of your word that we do no longer conform to the pattern of the world. Open our understanding that we might know what is your good, pleasing, perfect will, O Lord. Because your word says the world and its desires are passing away. But the man who does the will of God will live forever. Help us to see, to know, and to keep your will, each one, Lord. So teach us this morning. We just wait. Give us hearing ears, understanding mind, a believing heart, and a will to obey, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you were there last Sunday, and if you were in there, I would request you, if you are interested in learning the Word of God, just get the message. It's there on the website. You could also get it on, through WhatsApp and listen. And I also write, you You have when uh, people make movies and stuff, they put a disclaimer. Okay. Just to say that. Often the Word of God can be offensive to man and especially religious people, both of other religions and also within Christianity, because sometimes we have our doctrinal blinkers, like it could offend a Catholic, it could offend a Protestant, it could offend a Methodist, it could offend a Baptist, certain parts could offend anybody. But that is the nature of truth. Truth by nature is exclusive. It is not inclusive. Truth by nature is exclusive. So, Unless our hearts are open to truth. That's what Jesus said. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me, because of the word, because of truth. Because truth by nature offends. Even I get offended. Why couldn't you write it some other way? It would have made life easy for me. But God did not make intent to make life easy for me. He intended to make life right for me and for you. So remember... We don't intend to offend people, but sometimes often truth offends. So remember, we have an enemy. Last Sunday, we know it, but last Sunday we know when God introduces the enemy in the Bible, in the narrative, when the enemy is introduced, the enemy of our souls, he pretends he's something else, he comes like light and love and kindness and freedom and liberty and all, he's a thief. He wants to steal our life and our destiny. So when he's introduced in the Bible, like I said, God uses symbols so that through those symbols we understand truth better. So in Genesis 3 and verse 1, when the devil is introduced, he's introduced as the serpent or as the snake. The devil is not a snake, but for us humans, He's introduced as a snake because when we look at the snake, there's an inclination except for those who like snakes. A lot of people do, but most people don't. Instinctively, they draw back from the snake when many snakes don't have poison. 
But instinctively, even from the most non-poisonous snake, we draw back because God is the one who said, I have put enmity between him and you, his seed and God's seed. Remember. So he's put across as a snake. Okay? He's put across. And last Sunday, if you were there, we saw different ways in which a snake behaves and made a lot of sense to us. That is the way God doesn't want us to get fooled by this world, not the earth, this world system, which is under the control of that snake, of the serpent. We also see him being described, okay, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Another sign appeared in the heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of the heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, you say that. So we have a picture. So remember the different pictures given in the Bible about the devil. He is called a serpent. He is called a dragon. He is called the roaring lion. Not the biting lion. The roaring lion intended to cause fear. The dragon, the snake. Different symbols are given so that we, we understand. Can I have, can I have the map? See, this is the map of primarily Asia. You cut this off from here. You go from here. Okay. And this has been, uh, changed. But if you go from here to this all the way east from here to east, the two primary beings that are worshipped is snake and dragon. That's why the gospel is so difficult in these places. Okay? Understand. From here onwards, it's snakes where Hinduism had its effects or Buddhism had its effects. All over you will see both the snake and the dragon is worshipped. So you will see automatically there's an incredible resistance to the gospel. Okay, that's how it happens. Okay, please understand that is how these things happen. So we go and we will see some, I will tell you interesting things. Because even religious people, like when I was a religious person, I was very zealous as a Catholic in a Protestant school, even when I had never read my Bible. You can be religious, very zealous, but actually inside you know you don't know your text. Even the most religious Muslim doesn't know his text, because he has never read his Quran. A religious Hindu doesn't know his or her text. His text is the Vedas, not Ramayana or Mahabharata. Ramayana was written by a sage called Valmiki and Mahabharata by a sage called Vyasa as examples. And one of the discourses in Mahabharata is the Bhagavad Gita in which Krishna is speaking to Arjun. It is all written by a sage and these are all examples given, but everything has become deities. So the average Hindu doesn't know his text, that in the original oldest Veda, Rig Veda, there is only one God and no multiplicity of gods. He doesn't know. But in Bhagavad Gita, in one of his discourses, this is what Krishna says to Arjun. Among the serpents, I am Ananta or Adishesha. Among the serpents, 
I am Ananta or Adi Shesha. Ananta means eternal. Adi means beginning. Shesha means end. I am the eternal, the beginning and the end. Understand? How the serpent supplants the living God by saying, I am the eternal one. I am the beginning and the end. If you go anywhere in the world where Buddhism is or Jainism is, you will see these are nice people, Buddha, Mahavira, all right, nice people who, who they say received enlightenment. But if you see their statues, you'll always see with a seven-headed serpent over them. Okay? One of Buddha's main disciples over, of whose name, there are many things in Andhra Pradesh, his name is Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna, you know what the name means. Okay, so understand where the enlightenment came from. Okay, enlightenment came from. This is how people do not know their religion. They don't know their fundamental basic texts. Well, the truth sets you free. In none of these religions will you ever hear about a loving God who tries to save a sinful man by offering his life as ransom. Never. Salvation is left to the hands of man. If I can save myself, why do I need a savior? Okay, so there are fundamental differences. So don't think when people say all religions are the same, it is based on love. It is not. It's because you do not know the intricacies of each religion and how duplicity is there, how minds have been blinded. Scripture says the ruler of this world has blinded the eyes of the people from the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of God's love. How God came and God died for us. And then he rose again. So not only we have saved, can be saved from our sins, the penalty of sin is taken, we are, can be freed from the power of sin, and then one day when this body is gone, we can be with him for eternity. Okay, so understand there are a lot of duplicities which the devil puts across as religion, theories, but you go into the core of it, it will not stand the test of the truth of their own text. Their own text. Rigveda comes in different volumes. In the twelfth volume, if I am right, it says, I am Brahman, meaning self-existing one, and I will go as a human being, and my name shall be Prajapati. Praja means human, Pati means savior. I shall shed my blood, and through my blood, the Praja shall have moksha. That's what Rigveda says. And you look through entire human history, who came as Prachapati, shed his blood on the tree, and through that blood we have moksha. They don't know their own text. They don't know their own text. Muslims don't know their own text. Muhammad five times in the Bible, that's all is mentioned. Jesus 24 times, if I'm right. What is Jesus called? Ru Allah, the breath of God. What is Jesus called? The word of God. They don't know. They don't know. If you know the original text, you will realize through all the original text, God has given hope to mankind that I will come, I will live, I will die, I will rise. That's your only way out. After sin has come into the, into the garden, he comes and he brings sin. And if you look over here, here is the dragon with seven heads. There is nothing.
nothing original about the devil. He only imitates God. Scripture talks about the sevenfold spirit of God that stands before him. So the devil has comes across as a dragon with seven heads. And he has, of course, diadems on his head. And then it also tells fiery red dragon and ten horns. Little deeper things which we are not going to look into it, but I'll maybe later I will explain to you what it means. Okay. So Genesis 3.15. Okay, John John 3.15, 3.16, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. God is now speaking about the serpent, the devil, and the woman. Your seed and her seed. You will he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his seed. There's a, this. So serpent has his seed. The devil also has his people. God also has a people and there will be enmity between. The devil's seed will go after the heel of the man and the heel of the man, the God's seed will crush the head of the devil. Okay, there is enmity that has been from the beginning and you will see starting second generation, Cain will kill Abel and it goes on from there. You will see there is always enmity between these two seeds. So Abraham will have two sons. Ishmael will try to get after Isaac. Esau will chase Jacob. Joseph's ten brothers will go after Joseph. You will see this. this. Not that Joseph's brothers had serpent seed. They were until they were redeemed by Joseph. Okay, Everybody who is redeemed was originally serpent seed. Some of them gets redeemed and becomes the seed of the woman. You have to understand that. So there is this relentless, powerful enemy that is after us. Jesus calls him a thief. So he uses stealth. Okay, Thief doesn't come with his visiting card saying tomorrow I am coming at 10. He doesn't do that. So he uses stealth. Okay, it's very, very real. That's why you look at the snake. It moves very, you won't notice it sometimes. Okay, stealth. Jesus calls him a liar. So he permeates the entire world with lies and deceives people. And Jesus calls him a murderer. Therefore he is violent. The red dragon, you know, breathes fire. Okay? It's a mythical creature. We don't know what a dragon is. We don't know whether somewhere there was a dragon. We don't know what he's called a dragon. What exactly it is, we do not know. But it was Christ who defeated on the cross. The way God defeated him, we won't understand it. It's a, it was a mystery until it happened because man's ways and God's ways. In Colossians 2, scripture says, you being dead in your trespass and uncircumcision of your flesh, our hearts. We were dead in our sin. Living in the flesh, dead because of our sin. He made us alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. The righteousness of God demands First forgiveness, but forgiveness cannot be given unless the penalty is paid. We cannot pay the penalty because we are the thieves. We have no money to pay the penalty. So Christ comes, lives a sinless life, pays the penalty for, and we are forgiven of all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, there was this law. The wages of sin is death. He took that and Against which was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And in the process, what did he do? He also disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
in it. On the cross, he defeated the powers of darkness. Now, note this. Be very, very clear about this. Okay, so that sometimes we get our theory. Not sometimes. Get your theology right. Christ did not have to fight and defeat the devil for heaven's sake. No. He did not have to. In Revelation 12, verses 7 and 9, this is what scripture says. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. To fight the devil and his one third of the angels in heaven, God did not need Jesus. What's he say? Michael, you go fight him. Okay. Michael is not one of the top ones. He was one of the, only one of the top ones. The top one was Satan among the angels. You know, even a DGP can be arrested by a SI if the high court orders it. Understand how authority works? Maybe the DJP, Supreme Court, or arrest and bring him, it will be an SI or another, and somebody lower in rank who brings him and presents him. So God doesn't have to fight Satan. He created him. He said, Michael, deal with him, kick him out. Michael, who was lower to Lucifer, went him and kicked him out. That's exactly what Jude says in one nine. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. When the SI is taking the DGP to the court, does he say, hey, or does he say, sir? He knows this man has rank above me once. He says, you didn't revile him. You know, he's just exercising an order. Like he says, the Lord rebuke you. Which is happening much later over the body of, Jesus, of Moses. A strange incident where God took Moses up. He dies. He never comes. His body is buried there by God himself. We realize it was Michael who did it here. Angel of the Lord. But the Satan is contending for the body of Moses saying, I need him because I remember he murdered somebody in Egypt. Okay? And Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Whom God has forgiven is forgiven. Okay? So, understand how God works. Okay, so even Michael, okay, he knows in that hierarchy, this guy was bigger than him once. So Christ did not have to fight the devil to throw him out of heaven. He just used one of his angels. Christ became a man to defeat Satan as a man for the redemption of man. Understand that. Christ, that's what scripture says, God became flesh, Emmanuel, and dwelt among us. He became man to defeat Satan as a man for the redemption of man. And the instrument God used was the death on the cross. That was the instrument God used. The cross was just an instrument God used because that's, it is not like the hangman's noose. In the hangman, God, when he uses even an instrument for his son to die, is teaching us something through that. Hangman's noose, you hang, the shutter goes down, you fall, within minutes you're dead because your spine breaks, you're gone. Lethal injection, you're knocked out, you're gone. Electric chair, 3,000, 30,000 volt, you're gone. The cross is not like that. The condemned man has to carry his cross all the way to the site of crucifixion. Then he hangs in over there and it can be days sometimes before he dies. So the cross was given as a symbol meaning you need to die to yourself to experience the life of God. 
Okay, so the cross was given as a symbol, but cross was the instrument that God chose for His Son. Understand that even when God chose the cross as an instrument, and it is written about that in the Old Testament by David in the Psalms, the cross has not yet been invented. Because the cross is a Roman invention. Before the Romans, nobody used the cross. But God already foresaw it and writes through his servant David the way Jesus would die. Another thing which we need to understand is this. In Genesis 2 and verse 7 and 3, 4. Can we go to 2, 7, first years? The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground. If you read the Bible, you can waste, um, you can basically save a lot of money on, on experiments. Because now they will say your body is made of all this chemical composition. They will give you the value. The value is very little. The number of sodium and potassium and all together are $30. That's what you are worth materially. Man was made of the dust of the ground. What changed him was God breathed into his nostril. He became a living soul. So this body in which this flesh, all our desires, fallen desires reside, is of dust. Okay, dust. It's a symbol. Dust. When the Satan was cursed after the fall in the garden, earth is cursed, Satan is cursed, man is not cursed, his work is cursed. What does God say in 3.14? Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. What was, now you look at this and say, does a snake actually eat dust? No. It goes after our chickens. They didn't want dust. So this is also something else. It's not talking about the snake. It's talking about something else. It's talking about the devil. What is the food for the devil? flesh. My flesh and the devil are made for each other. That's why the cross is given. Die to the flesh on the cross. The devil can't do anything. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Follow me. The devil has nothing for him to feed on. So Jesus says, the devil has come, the ruler of the world. He found nothing in me. Nothing in me. I'm dead to the flesh. Understand, this is how. If you don't have knowledge, we cannot fight this enemy because he's a very sneaky, cunning, crafty fellow. Understand that. So let's keep studying of the enemy because it helps in our spiritual warfare. If you are in the army, you will realize, Indian army will realize the army formations and how they do it in the eastern sector and the western sector, northeast sector. It's not the same. It's not the same. Because in the western sector we are facing Pakistan, in the other sector we are facing China, and the way we are planning is not the same because the enemy is different. Completely different. It's not the way. It is not the way. Like people, I know a lot of people search and say, oh my God, EMP attack. That's what they are planning. That's what prophecies are saying. In one day America will be blown into cold age. It's called an EMP attack, electromagnetic pulse attack, meaning one nuclear bomb is blasted in the surface. All your electric, electronic grid is knocked out. No more light for the next 500 years. It's gone. And they believe that's how they will take America down before the Antichrist can rise. That's why everybody is scared of this Syria thing because the thing pushed to the back foot, the Russians may do it. But that's the problem, because that's why I tell people, understand, so that you don't worry. It won't happen immediately. I believe it could happen unless God shows mercy to that nation. Because God's judgment are always harsh against his own people. That's why Israel was banged into consciousness. 
Okay, and still they haven't learned their lessons because he says Israel is my firstborn son. Another nation which has a covenant with God was America. And America was always blessed because America was the only nation that stood with Israel during its formation and all these years. So God blessed them. Okay, remember, God has his own ways of dealing. Okay, so, but I don't believe things will happen immediately, but it could believe. The reason I'm telling you is a very reasonable, this thing, you see. Even if they do it, which they will not do it immediately, I believe, is because of the nature. Why is everybody afraid of America? All the nations are afraid of it. It's an enormous military wealth, power. Unbelievable military. Military is funded through money. So they will try to break down their economy. That was the twin tower attacks. To break their economy so the military cannot be funded. That's the whole idea. The military is so huge. To give a simple statistic, there are 39 aircraft carriers in the world. All the world. 19 are Americas. Russia has one. And if you know what an aircraft carrier is, it's a blue water fleet. It is like a city floating in the waters with Hundreds of nuclear submarines and other submarines loaded with the meaning. If they hit America, America from the seas will destroy the world. Okay, so they won't do it unless the time comes. That is where everybody is talking about the time of tribulation because it will be dark ages, literally dark ages because things will go out of and God says very few will escape it. So we have to look at the practical side of it. We have to look at the real side of it. But spiritually, the only way you can prepare for it is spiritually. Not physically, not materially. There is no way. Spiritually is the only way you can prepare. There is no other way. So understand how it works. This is how it works. So God says, we are dust. Serpent, that is. That is why God says, die to self. Die to self. So that the devil has nothing to feed on. That is why cross is the instrument God has chosen. Pick up your cross. If you come to Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 15 to 19. Take careful. This is what he will tell Israel. And you will see they did not keep it. That's why Israel went down. Take careful heed to yourself. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. When God spoke to you from the fire. from There was fire around. Did you see any form? He's asking them, did you see any form? No. Because God is a spirit, he doesn't have a form. He can take any form, but he doesn't have a form. Lest you act corruptly and make yourself a carved image in the form of any figure. He said, the problem is you will make me the creator in the form of a creator thing. When they were bitten by the snakes, remember the snakes? God said, okay, those who want to live, make a bronze serpent, lift it up in a pole. Whoever looks at that serpent... That's a defeat of the devil on the cross that is being shown in the wilderness will live. A little later they took the serpent and made that into a god and start offering sacrifices to it. So you will see King Jose will come and break that bronze serpent hundreds of years later. They even give it a name called Nehustan. So idolatry is built into the fallen man. He wants idols. Okay, lest you act corruptly, make for yourself a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of the heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. He says, don't worship creation. 
They look at in religions, they worship these things. These things are lifted up. The sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, or men. It's built in. The devil seduces people to idolatry. Remember this. Don't even eyes. These are all what God, these are all symbols. These are all symbols. Don't worship them. Don't worship them. What you see in heavens is physical for our eyes. Behind it, there are spiritual realities in the book of Job. Job 38 verse 7. I didn't give it to you, but 38 verse 7. Just let's look at verse 38. Let's, okay? Get your ears open. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Did you see that? It's talking about creation. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see the, we see stars, which are physical reality. Behind that, there are angels, which represent them. See, when you end up worshipping a star, or a sun, or a moon, you end up into demonic worship. Start worshipping a created thing, behind which there is a spirit. So God said, no, I created them. And I've assigned different ones for different things. Remember of all of them, the greatest, perfect, beautiful one he created was the devil. He says, you were the anointed cherub, perfect in wisdom, beauty, until corruption was found in your heart. He was beautiful beyond imagination. He was wisest creature he God created. He was anointed. He was adorned. He was ordained. He walked on the holy hill of God and he was in Eden. Then God cast him down. So remember, don't end up worshipping creation. Anything, anything, God detests idolatry. Idolatry is anything that replaces God in our life. And the worst form of idolatry is worship of self. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Scripture says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are not fighting each other, though the devil makes us fight each other, so we'll take his eyes off him. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The devil has order in his kingdom. He doesn't have it. Like love in his kingdom, it's fear and anger. Demons will not allow another demon to come into their territory. They will fight like mad for their own territories. They are not like uh, loving angels. Okay, understand that. But they have an order, and the biggest order is this principalities. He has principalities. If you know Revelation 12, verse 3, which we read earlier, Romans 12, 3, Scripture says, yeah, Revelation, another sign, behold, a great fiery dragon having seven heads and ten horns. The actual theologians believe the devil has divided this world into ten principalities and has angels in charge of over them for his works of wickedness. The entire world. So finally we will rise up ten kingdoms. Remember. Principalities happen. We don't see in the physical. We'll say India. We'll say China. He says no. Part of India is this, this, this. He has divided. Ten principalities. And under them subsection, subsection, principal rulers, powers down to the gully. He has demons in charge of every individual. He has no shortage of staff. Excess staff, one man in the Gadarians had a legion in him. A legion is between 2,000 to 10,000 Roman soldiers. 
For one man, he can spare 3,000 demons. He's got no issue with staff. And his numbers are only being added. Okay, please remember, we are fighting an enemy which is incredibly crafty and powerful and wise. And wise. Okay, but understand that he's got all this, but Ephesians 1.18 says when Jesus rose from the dead, He's praying to the church, I wish the eyes of your understanding is enlightened. That you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the true riches, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is that? And what is the exceeding greatness of God's power, his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his mighty power. What is that mighty power? Next. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly Places and far above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all this what does the devil know? Devil knows truth. Devil knows that in one little toe of Jesus has more power than all the power of the enemy. That's why Jesus God says, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. We can trample upon snakes, scorpions, and they shall by no means harm you. The devil knows the truth. He doesn't want us to know the truth. So he deceives us to be part of his world and his kingdom so that he can control us and use us for his purposes against the purpose of God who created us and God who redeemed us. This is the truth the devil does not want us to know. So the devil is always trying man to come to the flesh. Walk in the flesh. What is that called? Sight. Don't walk by faith. Remember last Sunday? Snake does not hear. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. So the devil is like a snake. Not that he cannot hear. He doesn't want to hear. And he doesn't want us to hear. That's why you start nodding off when you hear the Bible. When you read the Bible, you fall asleep. When you hear the word being preached, anything else. You may be wide awake even in your classroom. Even in the most boring math lecture, you are right. A big Bible comes, you start nodding and you realize. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to hear. So you have to fight it in practical ways and other ways. You have to ask your neighbor, pinch me if you see me nodding. I want to hear the word because life is in the word. It's not anyway. He doesn't want us to hear the word. He wants to take us to the flesh. That is sight. We have five, primarily five senses. We see, we hear, we smell, we taste, and we touch. But even an incredible man of God who walked by faith and walked by faith and walked by faith and walked by faith, when he goes into the sight, realm of the flesh, Isaac is blind. He forgets the promises of God. He goes by his flesh. He calls Esau and says, bring me that venison and cook it the way I like. I will bless you. Suddenly, you have three people in this entire universe. In this entire universe, one family. Father, mother and two sons who know God. One family. Everybody is being used like clay by the devil. Father says, forget the will of God, feed my flesh. Son goes to the mother and says, mother, what I do? Mother says, do this. She said, I am afraid. She says, don't worry, let the curse go. Go fool your father. 
Did you see how everybody become just clay in the hands of the devil? And there Jacob goes, the mother cooks, she puts her sheepskin on his body and the father is blind, he cannot see. He says, you feel like Esau. You smell like Esau. You sound like Jacob. You sound like Jacob. But feed me first. (laughs) Then I will bless you. Did you see a man who is completely taken over by the flesh? What a beginning. And literally goes against the will of God. So that's because that's how the devil uses. He wants us to go by our senses. We use our senses. But our senses is not our guide. Our guide should be faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing, not just physical, but spiritual hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That is where the walk of faith comes. Because the devil will always use our flesh to pervert us away from the ways of God. You see, the walk of faith demands a death to sight. Or making sight secondary. And the best description is given in Psalm 119 and verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? Now let me explain to these young ones. Okay, so that you understand I don't misread that. When I'm walking in the dark, that's why, you see, they're very smart. They know a time will come, man will not walk without his phone. Okay? So every phone comes with a Earlier we carried two cells, three cells, big cells. Now everybody has a phone. Okay? Now, this is not what it, this means. In this, I decide where I want to go. I am using the light only to show where I want to go. Understand that. That's not what it means. Okay? My entire senses are concentrating on the light that is being shown, but the direction is determined by me. Let me tell you. Okay. You fell asleep. You wake up at 12 in the night. There is no light. Power is also God. You wake up, you find your torch. Let's say torch. Oh, I think mommy made chicken today. Going downstairs. Is the light leading you? Are you leading the light? You're using the light to find the chicken. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Your word is the living word. My direction is determined by your light. I don't determine my direction. Okay? I don't determine my direction. Your word that speaks to me determines my direction. Because this word is a rima, a living word. Our God is a living God. So the light that it shows actually directs us. I don't direct the light to where I want to go. Why? Because this is where one has to be very, very careful because God hates idolatry. And the greatest, most powerful idols are not found outside, it is found inside. 
Because it is replacing the creator for something that he has created, even if it could be a pleasure. So God says, be very careful. In Ezekiel 14 and verse 4, this is what it says. Therefore speak to them and say them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, to everyone of the house of Israel. We are all spiritual Israel, they are physical Israel. So he speaks to us because he cannot speak to them. Later once we are over, he will speak to the remnant of Israel. So now, spiritual house, listen. Everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart. Where are his idols? In his heart. And puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. And then comes to the prophet. What is he going for? Who is the prophet? The one who speaks the word of God. He is coming to him for light. Direction. In his heart there is a idol. He is not coming for light. He is coming for the chicken leg. He's got an idol in his heart. Okay? The prophet probably doesn't know. Pastor, would you please pray and tell me what I need to do? I don't get into those traps. I first say, what do you want to do? What do you want? But many people know. Higher and fire prophets are there. Plenty. Okay. Will you please pray for me? And the prophet, God says, you know what? I'll take the prophet control. What will I do? I, the Lord, will answer who comes according to the multitude of his idols. God's will, let's say, for Hepzibah is something else. And she wants to clear him set. And she hears the new prophet is in town. And she says, El Santi, can I please go? It's a meeting, miracle meeting. Can I go? She goes and waits and waits and finally goes to him and says, will you please pray and tell me? He prays and says, I see you being an engineer. She said, hallelujah, I got my answer. God says, you came with an idol, I answered with an idol. Instead, when you go to God, you say, Lord, I surrender. Thy will, not my will be. God says, I'll speak to you. Because there are no idols in your heart. No idols in your heart. Okay? Be careful. Understand scripture. Because there are a lot of stuff happening in the Christian world and every world where the devil snares people and God allows. Why does God allow? Because he sees the idol. This is seen to the house of Israel. The house of Israel. Know this. The devil we know from scripture is wise Beyond imagination. Scripture actually uses the term he was made perfect in wisdom. Incredible. He was the most beautiful creature God made. But don't ever compare the devil to Jesus. Devil was created by Jesus. The devil's wisdom is no match to the wisdom of Christ. Sometimes you make these comparisons saying, oh my gosh, I need to side with Jesus because Jesus needs help. He doesn't need help. There's no comparison between Jesus and the devil. And they are incredibly different. Devil uses violence. Jesus is gentle. There's only one source of knowledge. That is God. And the knowledge the devil has is also from God. Only he perverts it because his heart is perverse. Scripture says, because the serpent had wisdom. God gave him that wisdom. So scripture says, be wise as the 
gentle as the dove. Don't be violent like the serpent. Gentle as the dove. Because Christ is gentle as the dove. I sent you as sheep among the wolves. Be humble like the sheep. Not proud and arrogant like the wolf. But that's the devil. Be wise like the serpent. But don't be anything else like the serpent. Use wisdom with humility and with gentleness. So read scripture carefully because God is trying to teach us. And he says, pick up your cross because the best idol breaker God made is the cross. What does the cross do? The actual cross, the spiritual cross, if you carry, it breaks every idol in our life. Yesterday I told the pastors, the cross was there before Jesus, during the Roman age, it was there after Jesus. Hundreds and thousands of people have died on the cross. The cross made no difference to them. Don't magnify the cross. Magnify the one who died on the cross. The cross did not change Jesus. Jesus changed the cross. There was one man who died on the cross. He cursed God. He took Job's wife's advice, cursed God and died, went to hell. Another man looked at the work on the cross, believed and went to Jesus, with Jesus to paradise. It is Jesus who changed the cross. Okay. The symbol, if you hang around your neck, there's no meaning unless it's working within you. But sometimes symbols have very powerful Powerful symbols in certain settings, like in the UN, which is absolutely anti-God and anti-Christ and against the believing church, the UN body, the actual UN body. And when you see the actually the most powerful person in UN who speaks, is not the UN Secretary General, he's the UN Ambassador, the US Ambassador to the UN, which is Nikki Haley, American Indian. Okay? When you see her, you will see the cross is very visible. Every time I see that, I said, good, they need to see the cross. I don't know whether you believe in or not. Let them see the cross. And she speaks up. Tough. First time we have a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. who stands up and speaks for Christ. That's why you need to realize this administration is hated more than any because they are very clear about their fate. Very clear about the faith. And the message of the cross is offensive. God has his own ways of doing. So let's put politics aside. But remember... Jesus changed the cross. The cross did not change Jesus. Another truth you need to understand, Revelation 12, verse 17. What does it say? The dragon was enraged with the woman, that's the church, and spiritual Israel. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring. The devil Hates God's children. Open your mouth. Not open to speak. Repeat what I say. Not open your mouth. Okay. The devil hates me. God loves me. Devil hates. Don't say devil is my friend. Please. He's not our friend. He hates us. He hates the rest of our offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The devil hates God's children who keep his commandments and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. He hates. If you don't keep his commandments and you don't keep his, have his testimony, you just have a cross around your neck, he's not bothered. He says, good, you are my testimony. 
He does. That's why Jesus said, either be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. When you're lukewarm, you're a testimony of the devil. I'll spew you out of your mouth. Cold Christians don't hurt anybody. Lukewarm Christians hurt everybody. They become a stumbling block to others to know the truth about Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, either be cold, get out, and don't even come back to church. Or stand on fire for me so that the whole world will know you are mine and the devil will come after you. Then I am for you. Okay? So, no scripture. So everyone who has the testimony of Jesus Christ, who keep or tries to keep at least false, gets up, false, gets up, but is trying to keep the commandments of God, the devil hates. Hates. Why does he hate us so much? Why does he hate us so much? You see, the, the devil knows the end. He knows prophecy. He knows the set of God's people who will overcome will get a position higher than he ever had. He's eaten away with jealousy and anger and bitterness and hatred and he looks at Hepzibah and Deepika and all says, you mean these little ones are going to sit on a throne higher than what I had? I'm going to finish these ones to see that they never fulfill God's destiny. If I cannot stop them from getting saved, one thing I am going to do, I'm going to go after them to see they never overcome. Never. And he's successful. That's why the Bible says many will come in just escaping through the flames. No crowns, no rewards, nothing. Just make it because all they did was believe in the work of Jesus Christ. God says, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. Right? In those crowded private buses, the driver, the conductor will say, no, move, 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 one more in, one more in. That's how people get into heaven. <laughs> no overcoming, no victorious, nothing. God says, that's not my plan. Every child of God has a destiny. And that destiny is unbelievable. Remember two Wednesdays back, I gave you a list from the book of Revelation. What God promises would be mind-boggling. Even Michael the archangel, Gabriel the archangel, all of them won't even ever come anywhere close to that. That's why he says, who is man? But made a little lower than angels for now. Later you will judge angels, he says. Is overcoming saints. Okay, so don't let the devil, you are saved, sitting here as a child of God, don't let him fool you and steal your destiny. If that's why scripture says, whom he foreknew, he predestined, meaning you have a destiny. Does that mean everybody will fulfill the destiny? No, that he leaves to our free will every day to choose. He says, I said before you, life and death, Good and evil, blessing and curses, choose. And then he says, choose life, please. But he says, you choose. But to choose, you and I need information. Why does everybody write M set and other set? What is that medicine test called? Me, uh, neat. Yeah, it's not very neat. Because what they call it neat. Why do everybody? Because it has been told to you, if you're a doctor and engineer, you have more security in this world. So information made you choose your careers. If there was no information, how do you make choices? But to make spiritual choices, you need information about God and His ways. That's why God says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Because they don't know what to choose and how to choose. And the devil has filled the airways with junk. And we end up as being junkies. Spiritual junkies. 
and we think like the laudation church oh my god i got everything i am rich i have plenty i have nothing then god comes and says you are blind you are poor you are wretched you are naked that's your inner reality your outer reality does not match at all with your inner reality and when you are judged on that day you are not judged by your outer reality you are judged by your inner reality stunning rebuke to the last days church so remember we are destiny's children i told you on the first day of this year we are destiny's children every one of you everyone sitting here who knows god who loves god who is trying to serve god you are destiny's child okay your destiny's child and god speaks before we can begin this walk of destiny let me tell you very clearly before you can begin this walk of destiny every one of you sitting here need to have a personal encounter with god i believe i was chosen before i was formed in my mother's womb but to begin that journey i had to encounter god in a hostel room at, in, at the age of 17 or 18 or 19 that's the beginning the destiny was decided before the foundation of the world but my journey began on a day when i met jesus it changes everything so every one of you will have to have a personal encounter with jesus christ and then constantly keep surrendering you fall get up you go off track come back because remember once you are saved you are a destiny's child not an ordinary destiny for this perishing world an eternal destiny with an eternal god So Abraham was the father of believers even before he was formed in his mother's womb but his destiny began when scripture says when he was in the land of the earth the Lord God of Israel appeared to him and said Abraham leave your father leave your country and go to the land I'm showing you that's the day his destiny began that's the day his destiny began so you need to have a personal encounter Abraham was an incredible godly man sarah was an incredibly holy woman and they had an incredibly wonderful son called isaac when you have an incredible parents like that often god doesn't speak to you directly he doesn't he speaks to you through them so you don't see god speaking to isaac when he's a boy when he's a teenager when he's 40 years old He doesn't go and fast and pray Lord show me my wife he says my dad is good enough to pick because he is a man who is connected with God and I have seen the head servant Elias who is as godly they will pick a wife for me I don't even have to look for them so you will never see in his initial years God speaking to Isaac he's 60 years old he has two children you don't hear God speaking to Isaac then later i don't know how old is he 70 75 years old there is famine in the land and is getting ready slowly like his father moving towards egypt in genesis 26 scripture says first time we actually actually hear god speaking the lord appeared to him and said do not go go to egypt live in the land which i shall tell you he's an encounter with the living god one on one now he's a god of isaac It's not just God of my father Abraham, God of my Isaac. You will see after that there is a radical change in his life. He is opposed by his enemies. There is famine. He plants. He prospers. He digs wells. Water comes up. Enemies come and fill it. He moves another well. They come and just take it. Another well it is. But he is moving. Where do your confidence come from, Isaac? How come you don't fight? You are just moving on because you will say because I know my God. 
It's no longer my father's God. It is my God. You need to have a personal encounter. If you and I don't have a personal encounter, it doesn't mean we are not called. Our pathway will not be defined. Jacob was chosen by God when he was in his mother's womb. His mother knew there are two nations. Why is this juggling in my belly? Rebecca went and asked. Rebecca, God said, there are two nations in your womb. They are twins, but two nations. The elder will serve the younger. As soon as she heard it, when it was delivery time, she must told the maid, watch your eye who comes out first. Watch a guy, because it may be one second, two seconds, five minutes, ten minutes, doesn't matter, it makes a whole lot of difference for eternity, because God has spoken. Ask people who worked in the central government. You joined in the morning, somebody else joined in the afternoon, when promotion come, one vacancy, the one who joined five hours earlier gets the promotion by five hours. It may last for the next ten years before the next vacancy comes. What is the difference between the two of you? You joined in the morning, the other one joined in the evening. So there is a destiny of nations. And scripture will say, Esau came out first and Jacob came holding his heel. Did you see? God had chosen him, even before he was in his mother's womb. Does he hear from God? No. He is an absolutely carnal fellow. He likes the things of God. He wants the things of God, but he's all flesh. When God speaks to him, when he's running away from his father's house, he sees his vision and God speaking to him and hears he is a typical, not prosperity preacher, prosperity congregation. Even if God speaks truth, he will only hear money, 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 money. So there are people like that. I'm not a prosperity preacher, I'm a gospel preacher. Okay, But there will be somebody who will sitting here with that ears, whatever I speak, they only hear prosperity. Problem is not with me, problem is with your ears. So God tells him all this and he tries to cut a deal with God. Can you imagine this fellow is trying to cut a deal with God and says, all you said is good, okay? If you take me and bring me back, I will give you 10%. He actually, you read Bible carefully. 20 years he suffers, he sees visions and God brings him out. God shows him two groups of angels who will protect him. Mahanam, he calls it all. Finally at Peniel, he has a face-to-face encounter with God. That will change him. That will change him. That is when his destiny is changed. God says you have wrestled with God and you have man-man, you have prevailed. From today you are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. Destiny begins. He's no longer Jacob. Is now Israel. Our destiny begins only when we have personally encountered God. And that's when our father's God, our spiritual father's God becomes our God. Joseph had two dreams. God can speak in different ways. He had two dreams. His destiny was set at 17. So you will see his struggles begin at 17. Because his destiny was set at 17. Moses Parents knew, everybody knew, put him in the palace, he was there in the palace, all that everybody knew. He did not know. We got it all wrong. At the age of 80, from the burning bush, when God spoke to him, his destiny was set. This is who I am. That changed his life. Every one of you has a destiny. Question is, will you discover it? Will you pursue it? Will you fulfill it? Because it will take everything that you have on the altar of God. 
put it on the altar of God to pursue and fulfill God's destiny. And the devil will pursue you and me till the end to see that we don't fulfill God's destiny. And he knows us well. He knows us well. Remember he's a thief. He's a thief. How do thieves operate? In stealth. They got very nice. You see the devil is a thief. What does he steal? He wants your gold? No. He wants your clothes? No. What does he want? He wants your destiny. He can't take your life. Because he knows if you die, you will go to God. So he has no power over life. Power of life and death is in Jesus' hands. He says he is the one who was dead and now alive forevermore. The gates of death and hates is in my hand. Not in the devil's hands. It's in Jesus' hands. So he, he, he wants to... When scripture says the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. What does he want to steal? Your and my destiny. God ordained destiny. How does he steal? You have to study thieves to see how they do. Okay? Suddenly you are in a crowded, let's say, Albert or Moses. Moses is in a crowded place. Okay? What happened? Suddenly two guys are fighting. They are hitting each other and fighting. Suddenly there is a crowd gathering. Hey, hey, hey. They are not listening. Hey, Jao, they are fighting, fighting. Everybody is watching. The third pickpocket is slowly going around and taking people's wallets. You know that? That's how they do. Whenever you see people fighting and they're not really hitting each other, you need to keep it. I always, when I go out into the world, I always keep my wallet in my front pocket. Because I know this world is full of serpent seed. Literally happened to me. I'm standing in many years ago. I'm standing in the queue to take a platform ticket to see somebody off. And I was standing over here. So my phone was here in my, uh, in my, my, my phone was here in my back pocket, back pocket, no, shirt pocket. You know what? A guy stood over there and I was holding my phone and giving the money. If I stood over there saying, meaning to give it your left hand is not good. I listened to him. I said, no, why offend his sentiments? So I gave it with my right. In a second, my phone disappeared. <laughs> then I had to go to the railway police to get my phone back. You know how they are. What does the devil do? What does the thief do? If he wants to steal you, he will try to distract your attention. Watch out. Because if you want to pursue your God-given destiny and fulfill, you need to be focused on God. Keep your eyes focused on Christ Jesus. What does the thief do? He distracts you. Like I said, by the time the fight is over, the third fellow has picked up quite a lot of wallets. That's the nature of the human mind. Though we talk about multitasking and all, which is not true. We can only focus fully only on one thing. The minute your mind is divided, your focus is gone. We talk about multitasking and all, but multitasking your company suffers. You are multitasking. We can only concentrate on one thing. And the devil is busy providing people with pleasure and amusement. So that we we will use humor. But we use humor only as an aid, not to take your focus off, but to get your focus in. 
when your company gives you a 10 minute break and says take take 10 minutes relax take a cup of coffee and come back you so that you will come back and focus relax a little come back and focus they are not giving you 10 minute break so that you will relax no the purpose is focus what does the devil do devil creates all this amusement parks not literally but literally too okay you may think no i am a doctor i have got an mbbs remember he has an md master in distraction <laughs> there is no way you can compete with him okay he's very 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 smart he has taken the god given wisdom and perverted it and used it for evil ends directed us he knows something about you know Hepsiba you're sitting in the front honey okay and i'm just using you as an example okay you want to do your let us say you want to be a civil service officer if you want to be now i don't know old days i knew if you wanted to do your civil services you knew one thing you had only three chances okay you had only three chances and you had an age limit so suddenly if you wanted a civil service you watching two things one your age and to your chances you know time is limited right the devil knows that devil knows that he knows god when it comes to man works on a time frame not in eternity eternity there is no time here there is a time so when is when are you when most distracted when you are young anyway Honestly you go take all around the world you take class 10 is a very important year class 12 is a very important year so in class 10 and class 12 most boys and girls fall in love it is a fall which will be reflected in their results set up by the enemy saying that let me mess this fellow because if he studies he may do some good at class 10 falling in love what are you going to do with that love how far will you go nothing reason works ah mere dil mein pagal hai dil mein nahi dimag mein pagal hai look at that. psalm 90 verse 12 teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom lord teach me to number my days i'm not running on eternity here i'm running on limited time here I have a very limited time to fulfill my destiny which will decide my eternal destiny. I have a limited time here. Efficiency next one. See that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeem the time because the days are evil. Walk carefully all everywhere all around distractions. Walk carefully everywhere distractions are calling your attention created by this world who's created by the devil the earth and the fullness belongs to god but the fallen man's world is created by the devil that's where the devil takes jesus when he comes in the flesh shows him all the nations and the glory of this nations dazzles his eyes and says worship me shall give it to you and he says it is written thou shall worship the lord thy god so he distracts tracks walk circumspectly second third one yeah but yeah send so therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the lord is don't be fool don't waste your time don't waste your time 
Yes, you need to take a five minutes break, play a game. But what happens? They don't take a five minute break to play a game. They take a five minute break between the game to work. Most of the time they are playing. They are not working. Next one. Psalm 90. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. It's like a sleep. He says, what is life on earth like? Like a sleep. You go to sleep, you wake up. It's gone. And we say, I am 80 years old. God said, no, it's just like 80 seconds in eternity. You are here today. Gone. Redeem your time. See time in the light of eternity. You reach heaven and you're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And scripture says the kingdom of heaven will be full of kings and priests. All are not kings. All are not kings. Priests are who those serve God. Multitudes will serve God. Okay, thank God we are in heaven. It's better to be in heaven than to be in hell. But what are you in heaven? Just a servant saint. Not a ruling saint. God, Lord, how did I... He said, you did not redeem your time. You got fooled. You got fooled. I told you. That fellow is a thief. He's come to steal your destiny. You are up there in the morning, gone in the evening. Understand time through eternal perspective. Job chapter 5. The triumphing of the wicked is short. The joy of the hypocrite is for a moment. All these fellows who are saying, I'm prospering, 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 prospering for what? How long? How long? Though his haughtiness mounts to the heaven, his head reaches the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. See how God uses. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. He says, all this is nothing. Shakespeare puts it best in one of his plays where he says, Caesar dead is now a something, I forgot the exact line, is a skull in which a rat has made a hole. His house. One day he threatened and shook nations. Today in his graveyard, a rat has made a house in his skull. That is what Caesar is in eternity. Just understand times. Understand life. Redeem your time. In Ecclesiastic 12 and verse 1, scripture says, Remember now your creator in the days of the youth. Before difficult days come. And your years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Why? Because you did not find God in your youth. You did not surrender your life to God in your youth. You did not pursue him in the days of youth. Now you have grown old and say, Lord, I wish you take me away. God says, yeah, I will take you. But you didn't fulfill your purpose. Paul doesn't say, Lord, take me. He says, for me to live or die is gain. If I live, I live for you. If I die, I go to you. Either way, it's fine for me. Redeem the time. Know the time. Evaluate the distractions the enemy. That's one of the fundamental lessons Jesus is trying to teach through his miracles. Why does he do his work mostly in Sabbath? Because he's teaching a fundamental principle. Rest is to do more work. We don't look. We For us vacation is sacrosanct. Don't touch it. It's a holy thing. Oh, I have made the Sabbath holy. We take it literally and you watch TV through Sabbath. God said that's not what he meant. Purpose of rest is that when I go to work, 
I am even more fruitful in your vineyard. My body needs rest. My mind needs a little rest. But rest is not my aim. My aim is work. Because Jesus says, my father and I are at from the beginning and we are still working. And we think God is resting. God says, I don't rest. I work. Then if I'm made in the image of God, I should be looking at work as a pleasure and not rest. I need rest so that I can work more. That's the purpose. I will work to be more effective in Psalm 4 verse 2. How long, you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? How long you will go after worthless things? Wasting your time on worthless things. Look at people. Believe kids. Put an entire library of books over there with 90% of them Christian books. They will go take on love story. No, pastor told me to read. How is your reading going to help? It's going to mess up your emotions. When you have to pick something, we choose to pick worthless things, not things which have meaning in eternity. The devil is smart. Understand your enemy, how he works. He's a thief. He's a thief. And for him, he knows if the battle is won here, He's one. He knows if you if you lose us the battle in our mind, he's lost. Battle is here because of the spiritual thing. You know how the one of the primary tactics of the devil in the mind game. Okay, one is with the past, and the other is with the future. God actually says to deal with the present. Deal with this. Don't worry about this. Live today. Okay? In the past is what is called memories. In the future, what is called imaginations. You know how the devil trips God's people by getting them into their memories or making them fantasize in imaginations so that they miss out their todays. Oh, one day I want to be a doctor and I'm thinking about, yeah, should I do private practice or should I join a hospital, corporate or government? And you know what? I think private will bring in more money and I'm going to have my timings very clear, seven to seven. I'm going to charge this much and then, you know, in two years I'll make this much money and I want to buy this plot at Banja. By the time you finish dreaming, exam is over. <laughs> what he does, either with memories or with imaginations. The devil, devil is smart. He is watching, he is observing, he knows every man, he is watching them, watching them, is a good reader of behavior. It's like Google and Facebook and all. Along, uh, along with, what is that, what do you call it? <laughs> okay, whatever it is. Okay, When you want to say it, it doesn't come. Okay, You know what? If you are on online and they're all connected device, 24-7, they can tell you who you are better than you. Because your entire daily behavior over years is there in the system. If they look at my Facebook, so no, I don't have Facebook, on my WhatsApp, they can actually tell me exactly on a particular day when I will wake up. Because I, they know my first reading and the forward. They can tell you like a clockwork on each day when I wake up. 
and they can make. And he said, this is a human pattern because that's habit. They know you what you watch, what you like eating, what are the movies you watch, what are the clothes you're looking online, what is the kind of footwear you like, what is the food you like, what are the kind of friendships, every how you think, your ideology, everything they know better than you. They know. How much more does your personal demon know who's been following you from the time you were born? Watches every action. And they have a database on everybody. He observes. He's been observing everything. He's been seeing Joseph. He's been Joseph's ten brothers. Everything. Then something happens. He's been watching Jacob very, very carefully. Oh, you are Israel. Prince with God. Prince with man. Really. Wow, what a prince. Let me see. Genesis 37. Yeah. Yeah, 32. 30, yeah, show that one. Okay, this is what God tells him. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel for you have struggled with God, with men have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. He said, why is that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. He said, you don't need to know my name. I am changing your destiny. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. My life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him. Symbolic meaning, when he ran from his father's house, scripture says the sun set on him. Now he's going to pursue his destiny. His destiny has changed, he knows. Devil trips him. Let's see how he trips him. Genesis 37. They took Joseph's tunic. You all know the story? Yeah, the brothers sold him, but pretended they had killed him. The cloth is brought. They took, killed a kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Not my brother, our brother, your son. Hmm? Listen to it. He recognized it and said, It's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and he said, For I shall go down into grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. What happened to your destiny? What happened to your destiny? Didn't you hear what God told about you? The devil will use memories to trap God's man of, this man has to become a nation. Out of that nation, Christ will come. And through Christ, a world is going to be redeemed. The man has been trapped with memories. My son is dead. I want to die. I'm not interested in life anymore. I just want to die. That is why Jesus in Luke 14 verse 26 is aimed at the idolatry in the heart. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. How is he going to fulfill his destiny? Oh, my son is dead. I want to die. I had called you for a bigger purpose. I had called you for a bigger purpose. Your son is going to block you? Who is the idol in your heart? Remember, our reaction to situation is the revelation of the idols in our heart. Is life all about this? Oh, my wife has left me. I don't want to live anymore. Who told you? Is there marriage in heaven? 
When redeem the time, people say, oh, I have to redeem my time, my biological clock is ticking, I need to get married. That is not what it means. Scripture says, knowing the days are like this, don't get married if you want to serve God with a whole heart. That's it. If you want to get married, get married with a woman or a man who's wholeheartedly wants to serve God and serve together. Otherwise, don't get married because your destiny may be messed up by your marriage. Everything is put on the altar because it's connected. You're not being selfish. You're being selfless for God. Even his own life. Husbands become idols. Wives become idols. Parents become idols. Children become idols. We don't realize we have idol worship here. And we will say, I have set him apart for God. Let God touch and you will see what happens. Oh, God touch. One of these. Suddenly you realize, oh my, I never realized I have an idol worshiper. First he had worshipped Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel can do no wrong. She can sit on her father's idols also, but no wrong. So he took her out. He got looked at her and says, I know, I love her, let me take her early. She being there, you have four wives, you have all these children through these four wives, and if she is there, you will not spend time with your son if she is there. She's gonna mess up that boy who has a destiny. So let me take her out. You see? Is Joseph dead? No. Joseph is not dead. But he is lying there. Destiny is gone. 22 years? 23 years? 13 years? 17 years he went in there. Right? Joseph went in at 17. 13 years of slavery. At age of 30 he is prince of Egypt. 7 years of plenty. So 13 plus 7? 20. First year of famine. Second year of famine. We don't know. First year of famine if they came... 21. Second year of famine, the third time they came, let's put 22. 22 years later, scripture says in Genesis, can I have it? They went up out of, came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. This is 22 years later and they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. And then, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them and when he saw the carts which Joseph had said to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, 22 years, that man lay there without fulfilling his destiny because he thought his son was dead. Distractions. You know how many people have been distracted by the enemy through memories and then by the time they wake up and say, 20 years are gone. 15 years are gone. Why? Because the devil traps you in your past with your memories. God says, you need to have only one God in your life. It's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your father, it's not your mother. Love them, honor them all. It's not your children. It is me. Because ultimately when you reach heaven, you have no father, you have no mother, you have no husband, you have no wife, you have no children. There is no such relationship. You only have a father and the father has only sons and daughters. And all our brothers and sisters, so keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. Memories, sentimental memories can mess our life. Because the devil wants to trap us in that. Remember Rachel was an idol for him. Rachel had idols, but Jacob had Rachel, the bigger idol. God could take Rachel out, but God couldn't take Rachel out of his heart. He could take Rachel out of his life. Like you say, you, know, you can take the jungle boy out of the jungle, but you cannot take the jungle out of the Ramba Maugli. You can take Israel out of Egypt, 
But to take Egypt out of Israel is more difficult. To take Rachel out of Jacob's life is easier than taking Rachel out of his heart. Look at his last days when he's very old, about to die, maybe a few more months left. What does he say? He's talking to Joseph. This is his last days. And he's talking about blessing Manasseh and Ephraim. You know what he's in his memory, what is he saying? As for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. Why is he telling all these stories? To my great sorrow, another version will say. When did she die? Around 70 or 80 or 100 years ago. Memories trap us. We have to deal with memories. Because in that memory there is worldly sorrow that leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and to salvation. Check out in your memories how is your sorrow. Is it leading to salvation or is making you immobile towards the destiny of God? Because in your memories there is sorrow, there is guilt, there is unforgiveness. Remember all these are idols. An unforgiving person is a person in his heart, his self is the idol. How could you do this to me? That's the reason you are not able to forgive. You are the idol in your heart. Jesus had no idols in his heart. He was absolutely innocent. Everybody was guilty. The first words of his mouth, his father forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. No idols. That's why Jesus says, you are not a Lord. How can you say, if you don't forgive, I will not forgive you. Lord, that is too much. God says, because you are the idol in your heart. Because with our past memories, these things are there. And you want freedom, deliverance, true deliverance from these enemies, deception. Deal with these idols in your heart. Deal with guilt. Deal with unforgiveness. Deal with it all. Don't welcome idolatry into your life. I can never forgive. I can never forget junk. If he could do on the cross and his power that raised him up from the resurrection power that raised him up from the grave, seated him on the highest place is the same power that is given to you and to me. We can. We are not ordinary people. We are not natural people. We are born from above. Therefore, we are supernatural people. If any man should be guilty, if any man should have been angry, if any man should have gone down, It should have been David. You know what he did? Your guilt. Two people may do the same crime. The guilt is not the same. The crime is the same. The guilt is not the same. A man who murders somebody, and this man does not know God, and a man who murders somebody who knows God and has walked with God, the guilt is not the same. This man's guilt is more because he knew God. He lied, he cheated, he took another man's wife, he got a husband killed and then he's an absolute wreck. Judgment has come, his son is there, his child is born, the child is dying, he's on his face before God and he's fasting, he's crying, he's weeping. God does not answer him, the child is dead. Listen to what he says in 2 Samuel 12. When David saw the servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. He should be guilty. Because if there is one child who is dead, he is dead because of you. Even before he was born, you killed him. 
because you are responsible for this child. The guilt of this child's blood is on your hands. He rose from the ground, washed himself, anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then his servant said to him, what is that you have done? You fasted? You wept for the child while he was alive? But when the child died, you arose and ate food? He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell where the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he's not going to come back. You see how he died? God has forgiven me. I was just pleading for his life. But I know one thing. If he's dead, he's not going to come back to me. But I know one thing. I'm going to him. I need to make sure I go to him. I don't miss him in the next life also. He rose up. He washed himself. Go listen. The message is there on that verse in the website. It is there. Seven things he does. He rises up. And he washes, he anoints, he goes, he worships, goes to the temple. He wo- Is this what people who are sorrowful and guilty do? No. He says, I am set free inside. I will still worship the Lord my God even if he slays my son. And he comes back and says, set food. They said, Are when people die, people fast. You are eating when people die. He says, I need strength to fulfill my destiny. He is gone. I am alive. And if I am alive, I need strength to fulfill my destiny. That's how you deal with your past. Put it right with God. Get up and continue serving God. That's the best thing you can do for the dead. Not sit there and mess your future also off. Their future is gone anyway. Devil traps people in their memories. God says, no, no, no. Be careful. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. Sometimes we look at the at the depth of our grief and we don't realize our grief is so deep. It's got nothing to do with God. It is to do with us. We go around and say, you have no idea what I have lost. What did you lose? You have no idea what this done to me. Who is the idol? And we think, Lord, why don't you see? God says, I see very well the huge idol. Bigger than the Ganapati during that. Big Ganapati is there, no? Bigger than that is the idol in your heart. Look at David. Look at this man. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. His eyes is on God. Lord, I know you. According to that knowledge of who you are, deal with me. Blot out my transgressions. Next. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. I'm not coming to you say how much I am grieving, I am broken hearted over the loss of this son. Nothing. I'm telling you, I'm looking at you. When a man sins, the one who hurts is God, not man. Because if there is no holy God, there is no sin. Sin affects God, doesn't change its nature, hurts God more than it hurts any man. Against you, 
and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless in your justice. Lord, I stand before you and I say, you are absolutely righteous in your judgment against me. No sorrow, no anger, no bitterness, nothing. You took my son, you are absolutely right to take my son. You take my throne, it's also fine. You take my crown, it's also fine. You are righteous in your judgments. I have no complaints. Can we go before God like that? Or do we always blame, you know, she was the one, he was the one, that was the one, my company was the one, the manager was the one. Do we go and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Therefore, any way you deal with it, you are just. Because you see stuff which I don't see. In verse 7, yeah, the next one, whichever I showed you, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than sun. Lord, what I realize is, I got a lot of mess in my heart, which resulted in all this. I'm saying you, Lord, clean me inside. Clean me inside. Clean me out, oh God. Clean me. And verse 7, yeah. 10, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from my presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is his prayer. His prayer is not focused on the world, on his loss, is not lost anything. His prayer is focused on God and God's presence in his life. I want you. I want your presence. Please do whatever it takes to retain your presence in my life. And I realize the only thing that will keep your presence in my life is a clean heart, a new heart. Do it. Do it. I surrender, Lord. Do it. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit, by your Holy Spirit. Create a new heart, a steadfast spirit, and give me back my joy. And he says, you know what, in verse 13, I will teach transgressor your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. The lessons you have taught me through this, I will not forget. I will teach others. Don't go my way. When we try to tell children, no, don't go our way, we'll say, well, you went, I also want to try it. That's not your answer. That's not your answer. Your answer is, you went that way, we have learned, we don't want to go your way. We want to go in the way you are showing us. He says, I will not forget the lessons you have taught me, and I will teach others your ways. And I will, verse 18 and 19, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteousness. With burnt offerings, whole burnt offering. Then shall offer bulls and your altars. Did you see how he ends up? It's interesting, right? David is saying, David, do all this in me. Or do all this work in me. Why? Because there is something bigger than me. Bigger than that what happened in my family. Bigger than my children. Bigger than my mess. It's your kingdom and your name. So prepare me so I fulfill my part of your destiny connected with Zion. In the kingdom of God, the eternal Zion is that coming. Everybody sitting here has a part to play. And our cry and your cry is, do your work in me that I fulfill my part. Even if it's only one brick. Oh Lord, when eternity begins, let it not remain empty. That somebody put that brick. Let my brick be in my place. And I will know in your eternal destiny, I played my part. That's how his arm ends. Because it's bigger than me. Much, much bigger than me. That's how we deal with memories. That's how we deal. Because in Psalm 91 and verse 3, Scripture says, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. 
who is a fowler, the fellow who is going around with a trap, with a net to trap people in their memories. Remember last Sunday and yesterday, John the Baptist's ministry is, I shall bring every mountain down, fill every valley, every crooked part shall be smooth, made smooth and straight, and every rough road is made smooth. Why? Why smooth? Snakes can't move in. To move what a snake need? Friction. That is why he creates friction in home so that he can move nicely. When your husbands and your wife fight, remember your opening doors for the snake to come in because he needs friction to come in. When people in the churches fight over stupid things, remember you open the doorway to, for him to slither in because he needs friction to move. That's why the psalmist says how wonderful it is when brethren dwell in unity and the oil flows. Can a snake move in oil? Oh, no friction. By the time you have finished, you are 80 years old. Now no strength to fight, no time to fulfill destiny. Ah, we shall go together to the grave. Where is your destiny? 25 years we are fighting. Did you understand the ways of the devil? Because most of the issues people fight for is not worth fighting for. Let it go. She said, he said, how does it matter if there is no idol? He said, we are of Abraham. We are not illegitimate. Did Jesus say anything? I shall prove to you who my father is. Father, speak from heaven. Did he say anything? You can call me a bastard. It doesn't mean anything to me. You can say that I know who my father is. Did he take offense? He didn't take offense. Let it go. I got a bigger Bigger purpose here. I'm not going to let these serpent seed to distract me from a purpose like he prayed. He set his face like a flint, like a stone towards Jerusalem. I am not going to let distractions come in. I have a destiny to fulfill. Don't give friction to the enemy to move into our lives, our homes, our churches. Understand the way the devil works. He casts a fowler, casts a net of memories and you are trapped. Unable to move. Because you are like, that's not like a, they say in English, like a deer caught in the headlights. Jacob, where are you? Oh, my son Joseph. I remember when he was wearing that coat of multicolors. When did he wear it? Oh, that was 13 years ago. You are still stuck in the past? Fellow is ruling in Egypt. Father is thinking he is dead. Trapped in the fowler's nest. Don't get caught. Let go. Let God be God. That's what Paul will say in Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended one thing I do. I forget thee. Forget thee, those things which are behind, I forget. Oh, Paul will say, today I have to preach. Pastor James invited me to preach. When I go there, how can I preach? I remember Stephen's cries when they were stoning him and I gave sanction. I am not worthy to preach. He says, I forget the pastor and I will go preach. Peter will say, oh, I denied him three times. And I denied him to a servant girl also. I said, I don't know him. 
But on the Pentecost day of Pentecost, he says to Jesus, whom you crucified, not I, I am free of blood filled because my memories, my actions have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. There are no memories. You crucified, I proclaim. I'm free of blood guilt because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Okay, don't get trapped in memories. You won't go anywhere because the devil knows everyone sitting here it's a child of destiny. You can trample upon his head. Finally, not finally in the sense of finally, but unforgiveness ultimately becomes the knife with which you punish yourself. It's like they say in English, it becomes the poison you drink to kill somebody. Because you're trapped in your memories. Let it go. When the head of the snake comes, that is the best time to stamp it. Don't wait four years to forgive. The offense is done. Forgive then itself. It should become a habit when that person is coming. Says, Are you coming again for forgiveness? Granted, go, 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 go. No problem. Done deal. Why? How can you forgive so easily? It's got nothing to do with what you did. I want to fulfill my destiny. Otherwise, he will walk under condemnation or self-righteousness. No. He deserves not to be forgiven. Then to hatred, to bitterness, there is a progression. Then it can come to a point where you cannot be restored at all. Cannot be restored at all. You know the word of God like the back of your hand. You know it all. Kings come to you for counsel and when the counsel you give is like God speaking through your mouth. But you have crossed the line of being restored. Ahitophel, David's most wise, godly counselor has crossed. What will he do finally? Hang himself and kill. He crossed that point. Should I let go of it then? If God has forgiven him, who are you to hold it? Let go. Ahitophel. You would have lived to an old age and you would have been known as one of David's mighty men who never fought a single battle but was behind the victory of every battle through your counsel. That's how it would have been written in the annals of the king. Instead, what is written? He put his house in order and went home and hanged himself. What an end. Why? Because you crossed a point. But he couldn't be restored again. That's why God says, don't let the enemy trap you. Enemy trap you. Don't. We are not the one who forgives. It's God who forgives. We just pass that forgiveness on. Because every sin that was done to me was not done to me. It was done to him because he's the one who said, there is good and there is evil. There is sin and there is righteousness. So every sin was done to him and not to me. He has forgiven him. I just pass the forgiveness on. Who am I to forgive? I'm not God. He's the one who forgives. That's what happened to Joseph's brothers. They're all in Egypt. They're all doing well, but they're thinking maybe this man is forgiving us because daddy is still alive. Then daddy dies. Yo, will he show his true colors? He had only one color. They had two colors. That's why they did not know who, what his true color was. They said, and said, we are all slaves. Please forgive us. You know, his response in Genesis 50, you know what he said? We all know 19. What you did for evil, God meant it for good. That's not what is important today. Joseph said, do not be afraid for, am I in the place of God? 
Am I in the place of God to withhold forgiveness from you? Who are you to withhold forgiveness from somebody? Are you in the place of God? There is only one who forgives. That's why the Pharisees were upset. Son, your sins are forgiven. They said, who are you to forgive sins? Are we in the place of Jesus? Are we in the place of God to withhold forgiveness from somebody? That's only something God can do. If somebody violates a rule, kills somebody, you stand there, you have, you are set free. Does it make any mean? That's for the magistrate to decide, not for you and me. Whether somebody goes to prison or somebody is free, only the magistrate has the authority to decide. I cannot decide. That's what Joseph is saying. To withhold forgiveness is only God, not man. When I don't forgive somebody, I am playing God with somebody. God says, devil has trapped you. Don't be trapped in his nest. Let go and go. Deal with issues. Deal with issues. And let go. Let go. Let go. Not getting into imaginations. Maybe I'll get into imaginations because we have an imaginative generation. So we shall. The second, how he gets you into the future is through imaginations. Yeah? Before we close, have a breath thing. Second Corinthians. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Everything, imagination, knowledge, high thing has to be brought down. Everything. Everything has to be brought down. Everything. Alignment. Yeah? Casting down Whatever your dream is, if it is not from God, cast it down. Doesn't matter how good it looks, how noble it is. When we reach heaven, God is not going to say, Peter did a good and a noble thing. No, he said, he'd fulfill my will. Take charge of ten cities. You could do the greatest, most noble work of God or work on earth and not fulfill God's purpose. And you could do a simple thing, maybe just for five years of your, let us say, 80 years, you did your task in God's kingdom was only five years, and you did that five years faithfully, and you fulfilled God's purpose in your generation. Lord, many times you shillow, shillow, Lord, Lord, give me a child, give me a child. God said no. No. Why? Because you want a child? Because you're co-sister-in-law. That's Indian term, co-sister. Husband's other wife is having child after child after child. So out of like Rachel, you want to be vindicated. I'm not going to vindicate you because I see you, you are not Rachel. You are a godly woman. I'm not going to vindicate you. I am your vindication. Go. Every year she went. God said no. Finally one day she's broken and she said, Lord, give me a child. I promise you I give the child back to you. God said, answer. Answer. Samuel came. Elkanah said, let's go to Shiloh again. She said, I'm not coming. Oh, we are not going to worship God. You're not coming. No, I'm not coming. My worship begins here because I asked this child for God. I have to raise him up in the God's way. When I go to the temple next time, I'm giving him whole over. I'm going to prepare him God. Five years, six years later, she goes to Shiloh, goes to the priest and says, here is the child. Take him. And the child will reign over Israel for 40 years. 
Did he fulfill God's will in her life? How many years did it take? Five years. But she fulfilled. So it's not doing great works or good works or noble works. It benefits the society. It doesn't benefit the kingdom of God if you haven't fulfilled God's purpose in your life. And when we die, we are standing not before kings and presidents to get the medals. We are standing before the king of kings to receive our crown, which is connected to fulfilling his purpose. That is why we have to cast down imaginations. As parents, cast down imaginations for your child. Dreams for your child. Be smart like Rebecca. Go to God and say, God, this is not normal. This is not gas. This is not indigestion. This is something spiritual that is taking place here. Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, good honey, you are interested in the eternal destiny of your children. Let me tell you, the younger one is chosen, not the elder one. Lord, both are mine. Both are twins. Both, you say the younger one? Younger one. Your will, not my will be done. Scripture says when the children were born, she kept Jacob with him, allowed Esau to go. Esau is all around smart, hunting, playing football, cricket, tennis, everything Jacob, Jacob is kept with her. And Jacob is born, his father is 60, his grandfather is 160. 160. Abraham. So one boy is there with his grandfather Abraham and his father and his mother hears about the ways and the kingdom of God naturally in his heart. He wants the inheritance of the firstborn and he wants the kingdom. God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Because the mother knew the destiny of her child and acted accordingly. So cut down, cast down imaginations. Cast it down. Let nothing be raised above the knowledge of God in your life. Knowledge of God. That's what the word is talking about. Everything we have to hear from God and of God. 25 years ago when the Lord called me, I knew nothing about what ministry was. But I know from the book of Acts, the Lord gave me a very strange portion and said, it is from Acts 18. I think I gave it to you there somewhere, Acts 18. 24 to 27. So you will know what this church is all about. Sometimes people tell me, do this, do that, do this. I can't do any of those things because it's connected to with destiny. Now a certain Junior, Apollos born at Alexander, an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he decided to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. The Lord told me, I am calling you to teach believers and not unbelievers. Your ministry will be the teaching of the word. I will give you believers, teach them. Your ministry is that. So have a thorough knowledge of scriptures. You study, I will give it to you. Ten years ago he told me, I again from the book of Acts, I will give you a hall. In ten years we have had two halls. And he said, I will give you the word and the word will reach the ends of the earth. So I cannot change the nature of the church. 
This is the teaching church. This is not evangelistic church. There are evangelists. That's connected with the vision given to those men. There are deliverance churches. That's connected with the vision given to those men. So the only thing I ask God is, Lord, the people who come here, let it be people who are interested to learn of you, the knowledge of God. And I believe most of you, when you go from here, will end up one day as teachers of the word of God. That's the reason you are here and not in another church. Destiny. Destiny. I'm telling you, even the young ones sitting over here, if I've heard, people have told me they have gone to other churches because their spouses pulled them over there and they went to some of the big, good churches in the world and they called me and said, I said, how was it? Sunday school. I said, what? The sermon was like Sunday school. I said, because you learned here, this is a teaching church, that's evangelist church, please don't compare. Ministries are different. And I'm telling you, even the kids sitting here, if they will go out to teach, Christians who've been in Christ for 50 years wouldn't know half what they know. It's because of your destiny. So don't compare. Don't compare yourself or I with any other man's ministry. My job is to run my race. Your job is to run your race. But there's no place for imaginations here. No place for imagination. Very clear, this is my purpose. And I will not turn to the left or the right from that. Give me 50 people, that is mine. For every door that opens is to teach. Yesterday, how many pastors came? Tomorrow morning, another pastor's meeting. Next month in Nepal, everywhere it is pastors who are calling, come teach, come teach, come teach. Did this guy know how to teach? Did this guy go to Bible college? But when God gave me the vision, he said, have thorough knowledge of scriptures. Strengthen believers. How many people have called me here? We are having a crusade, evangelistic meeting. Can you come? I said, no. Pastor, why? I said, I don't do that because it's outside the boundaries defined by God for me, I haven't sent you to unbelievers, I have sent you to believers to strengthen them. So all of us have a destiny. Instead, God called me and I'm very clear about that. I go and have a crusade in Nalgonda, another crusade in Warangal, posters everywhere and tell everybody, God says, I never called you to do that. One crusade in my life, that's all. Posters everywhere, TV cameras coming with garland. I was so embarrassed. Because I heard loudly that day in the evening, God said, I did not call you for this. If you come to my house, somewhere in the in the attic or somewhere, the huge posters are still there. I was so embarrassed because I heard the Lord tell me, I didn't. I'm sitting on the stage with the local MLA. And I hear this voice in my ear, I did not call you for this. I told you to teach believers. Thousands of people sitting in the grounds, all waiting. Let me tell you, these things don't matter. The only thing that matters is the man who does the will of God will love forever. And our first priority is, Lord, show me thy will. Show me thy ways. Give me the strength to walk in it. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, shall we stand up? Father, with this morning, we just come to you. And we just want to thank you. We all have tripped, fallen many times. Many may have even gone off the track. But you are a merciful, kind father who doesn't want any child to lose his crown in eternity. And I pray today, the 15th of April, 2018, would be a day Many would come back to that path. 
come back to that narrow road. In that road there is life. In that road there is victory. In that road your power is released. In that road it is destiny makers who walk. And I pray today Lord people will come back. Children will come back to that road. Doesn't matter how young, how old. They will come back to that road. Moses came to that road at 80. Aaron at 83. Abraham at 75. Age is irrelevant father. We can still redeem that time even if that is just a year left. Because your promise is there in the word. I will give you back the years the locusts have eaten. For everything, Father, when we cry out to you, there is an answer from the word and from the spirit. Because you are a father who is speaking to his children saying, don't lose out. On that day, I am your father, but I am a righteous judge. And I will to take away from you what you did not acquire. So, Father, I pray there would be a day, today would be a day of restoration. Today would be a day of deliverance. Today would be a day of victory. That for many, they would be able to remember one day in life. April the 15th, 2018 was the day that God changed my life. Pray, Father. You strengthen us to walk that walk. And finish this race. Through it all, keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. I bless your children in your name. I bless your children in your name. May the blessing of the living God pursue them and overtake them all the days of their life. Let them hear the voice of the living God and obey his commandments. Let them not turn to the left or to the right. Let them put God above and far above everything else in life. Let them seek your face each day and obey your voice. Thank you, Father. We take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I come against every thief, stealer of God's children's destiny. I plead the blood of Jesus over the past of God's children. And I bind you, you serpent, in the name of Jesus. And I command you to leave in Jesus' name. You thief, according to God's word, you have to return what you have stolen from God's people. And they will fulfill God's destiny in the power of His Holy Spirit. The son of righteousness shall rise above them with healing under his wings. And they shall go out like calves released from these stalls. They will bring glory and honor and power to God's kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We just bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.